It's the last two-tout Tuesday of the 2021 preseason, and we have two of the best. I'll talk with Todd Zola from Masters Ball, ESPN, Rotowire, Sirius XM, and heaven knows where else, and with Ray Murphy, the co-general manager and columnist at BaseballHQ.com on a big preseason roundtable edition next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, March the 30th. It's show number 17 of the 2021 fantasy baseball season. I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have another great roundtable edition for you with two great guests. Todd Zola and Ray Murphy discussing how their drafts have gone, the coming season, and a massive extravaganza of Boons and Banes. It's another big roundtable edition. Thanks for joining us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? The day of the roundtable is nigh. We gotta talk some baseball. And let's get rolling with this roundtable edition, welcoming Todd Zola from Masters Ball, ESPN, Rotowire, and SiriusXM. Todd Zola, welcome back to the show and to this annual preseason roundtable. Always looking forward to talking to you and Ray PD, and uh, especially with this roundtable. Ray, welcome back. Thanks for joining. Absolutely. One of my favorite preseason traditions. Well, let's start with a quick review of our 2021 drafts. Uh, Ray, how did you feel your drafts went overall in this preseason? I think I felt good about them all as a all at the time as they went through for the most part, they went pretty well. And then doing the first fab last night, I was having a little bit of, Oh my goodness. What was I thinking last month? As I was looking at the various holes on some of these teams that I hadn't checked it out in a few weeks, but I, I, I'm telling myself that that's just part of the course. And Todd, uh, I understand that you uh, had a fab mishap of your own in your first go at the, uh, at the fab in one of your leagues. Well, not unless Sal Romano takes over the closing job in Cincinnati. I'm uh, I'm down I'm down almost half my fab in the Beat Todd Zola online championship. So I'd like to apologize to Pete Chanky. Hopefully, it won't cost him too many uh, RotoWire subscriptions. But uh, I'll, listen, it was my user error. Uh, it is what it is. But in general, the drafts were fine. Interesting drafting season. I did a lot of drafts early, then I did a lot of drafts late. I I was doing other things in the middle. So it, it was kind of an interesting look back at what I, well, not so much what I thought, but what was going on early and what was going on late. And Todd, uh, now that you don't have to worry about spilling any strategic beans or tactical beans, uh, how consistent were you, do you think, in setting your draft strategies and executing them as these drafts went along? Well, for the record, um, I'm kind of an open book in that regard. If people don't know who I draft or what I want at this point, as soon as I started putting Finley in, Fantasy analyst on my tax returns. I, there ain't no secrets, but um, it was it, it was it, it, things were just a little different in that the market was all over the place. So I didn't change my tack that much, but it was just different adjusting to what the market was doing, and it took a little bit longer to read the room. Ray, how did your consistency feel as you went through these uh, drafts, especially early to late? Yeah, I think cons point echoes true for me as well. I feel like I was basically trying to do the same things all off season. I was 
for a couple of examples we might get into later, I, I was pretty low on the closers. I was trying to fish in the back end of the closer pool, and I was targeting a lot of uh, 2020 mulligan candidates throughout my rosters. And you know, I was trying to do that all along, but with sort of like wildly varying success, not even early to late, just draft to draft, and depending on who you were sitting next to and who was at your table, you know, some days I did that better than others. But, you know, we don't play against the same people all the time. So I guess that's supposed to be uh, the way it is. Well, one of the big things we've been talking about all preseason is the pitching forward nature of a lot of drafts. The, the experts are pushing even sort of what we would have thought of as second and third tier pitchers higher and higher in the draft. It's not unusual to see half of the first two rounds be starting pitchers and relievers are creeping up as well. Todd, in the past, your draft mantra has been to bully hitting by using your salary dollars or top snake slots on hitters and then to manage pitching with skills-based later pitchers and working the free agent pool during the season. This year, though, was that strategy still feasible given the huge upward shift in pitching in a lot of drafts? I think, I think it was more feasible, to be honest, because... I didn't need to overload with pitching. I, I I wanted to get a good starter. Everybody else is leaving with two or three in the first five rounds, say. I'd get my one, and then I'm happy to, when everybody else is now going on to hitting, get a couple of the, I don't know, 27th, 28th out of top 30, something like that. Then just wait, 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 and then plan on streaming. You know, there's, there's a couple of different ways to build a competitive staff. You could – everybody drafted against me beat me – one to three, right? Their first three starters are better than mine. My goal is to crush them four to seven. Whether I do it or not remains to be seen, but that's a pl- that's the plan. And in the meantime, you're going to crush them on the hitting just generally because they don't have as many hitters as you. Hopefully, right. That's the exact. It's 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 not it's not the Lima plan in that you know the draft skills necessarily, but it's the uh, manage pitching efficiently and then just use the extra assets. Remember the Lima plan wasn't so much about the pitching. It was having $200 to spend on hitting, you know, the smart way to, to efficient way of spending your money. So that's what, that's, that's what I'm hoping here is clever streaming and stay even with the closers and get enough of a foundation in my top three. You know, again, people are going to just wipe me off the planet with their top three. I, it's not like I'm, I have three of the top 30. I may have like number eight, number 22, and number 29 or something like that. And Ray, how did you manage the pitching forward draft environment this season? Yeah, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, extending on the point that Todd was making there, I think mattered a lot for your format. And the 50-round draft and holds where you don't get access to the free agent pool are one beast. And the NFBC or TGFBI or places where you're in a mixed league with a seven, six man reserve list and weekly access to the free agent pool to Todd's point opens up a lot of opportunity with streaming. And I think one of the things about this pitching forward fractured, whatever you want to call it, pitching environment is I think streaming pieces are going to be available every week, all year. I don't necessarily mean two starters because even two star pitchers in a week are going to be really tough to predict and pin down. But if you're looking for skills for somebody, any number of these 100 and 120 inning pitchers who we don't know what four months of the six they're going to pitch, but in those four months, they're going to be pretty good. I think you'll be able to find those guys pretty much anytime you need them. So that is, I think, part of the strategy for building a pitching staff. 
Well, last season was a complete aberration in many respects because of the pandemic response. And a lot of analysts were warning us all this preseason that 2021 will feel something of a hangover from 2020. So setting a scale of 19 to 20 with 19 meaning this coming season feels pretty much like 2019 and 20 being another weird season like 2020. Where are you on the 19 to 20 scale, Ray? Can I be at both ends? Is that allowed? I guess you can do what you want. But let me, but let me tell you why. Um, I, on the individual player level, I think I'm at the 19. Uh, I am completely willing to hand out mulligans, as I sort of alluded to at the top of my draft strategy. I'll give any individual player a mulligan on, 29, on 2020 and look at their 2019 skills and assume that that's a decent proxy for who they still are in 2021. However, on the macro scale, in terms of the league environment, I think I'm more 2020. We had a you know, Ron had a quote in the uh, when he pulled it up, something I wrote in an article last summer about how 2020 isn't an aberration; it's the extension of a trend. And openers and all of those things that have been brewing for three years got extended, got accelerated in 2020. And I don't think those things are getting rolled back. I think we're gonna, you know, in terms of macro player usage expanded rosters, stuff like that that we'll get into later. Oh, I think a lot of the league-wide environment we saw in 2020 is going to carry over. Todd, what do you think? Pretty much in lockstep with Ray about the, the way to handle it. I, uh, I, I, much more towards 19. I, th- I don't want to say it's exaggerated, but I think we're going to be okay with pitching. If you're in a league with an innings limit, I think you're going to make your limit. I think there's a little – maybe I'm the dumb one but I think there's too many people trying to be the smart guy in the room and just concerned about innings. They're there. They're going to be there. And as Ray talked about, and this is, we're going to be, I think we're both be hammering this in point, this point all season to our, our, our relative listeners, our, our respective relative, our, our relatives too, our respective listeners is it's not about to start pitching this year. It's about the good matchups because they're just not going to, you said they're going to be hard to find, Ray. They're just not going to be that many of them. Remember, they, once they started the season, I was thinking 2018, they added the three days. There's just fewer two-start pitchers because of more off days. And now with so many six-mans and everything else, they're just not going to be that many. I think early in the year, you want to be conservative and just go for the really, really good matchups. And if there's not there, use a reliever. And then at the end of the year, if you need to pile up the Ks, take your chances. So I think early on, it's matchups. Later on, it might be bullying. But the other thing, the only thing I'm concerned about, as far as the hangover goes, I, I'm fairly – MLB is going to play. The Red Sox had a scare, and it turned out a false positive. We're going to get things like that. I'm concerned about the minor leagues. I just don't know if the minor leagues are going to be made. I hope they do. I'd like them to. There's a new ballpark. I'm sure maybe one of these days Ray will meet up at the, at the Worcester ballpark. I can uh, give you guys back your projector that I've had in my car for, it seems like, forever. But uh, – but but you know I, I I'm just concerned about the minor league. and that I think that was uh, I don't people think they realize just how many players missed AAA missed AA missed playing in the minor leagues there was a ton 
and it's hard to assess where they might have yeah. been had they had that experience as far as figuring out what they might do this year and on into the future. Uh, there's also been a debate about the impact on pitching in particular. Uh, most of the analysts that I listen to and read say the pitchers will have significantly reduced innings because of last season, lack of workload and so forth, but there's a minority that says uh, pitchers should be fresher. They didn't pitch as much, so they should have more strength, more ability, and so forth. And then maybe I'm a minority of one, but I think I don't see why it would make any difference at all. If you're a pitcher, you know, you are theoretically well prepared to just go out there and pitch every four or five days, four if you're Trevor Bauer and five if you're everybody else, and six maybe if you're Blake Snell. But I don't understand where all this concern is that because they didn't pitch a certain amount of innings last year through October that it's any different from any other year when they don't pitch for five months before the season starts. And then some of them go out to pitch 200 and some of them go out to pitch 180 and one or two might even pitch 210 or 215. Ray, am I missing something here? Where do you stand on this whole idea that the the big hangover from 2020 is going to be in innings pitched in 2021 and durability? I avoid the broad brushes as much as I can. I think there are, it's going to be very individual. I think there are categories of pitchers you've got to worry about. I certainly think younger guys, minor, you know, guys who to Dodd Todd's point missed the minor league season or spent time at the alternate site last year are going to get handled very differently. I mean, I think we're seeing that already with uh, Michael Kopech and how they're trying to manage him with the White Sox. But one interesting aspect of this, getting back to Todd's, immediately prior point is the minor leagues. We don't have the minors till May, if at all. You can't send guys out to, you know, manage their innings and still get their work in, which I think is why Kopech is in the White Sox bullpen, because if they could send him to AAA for even three inning starts, I think they would do that. And what's going to happen the first time, three weeks from now, a pitcher pulls a hamstring and, you know, needs to rest for two weeks and go, to, you know, would normally go on a rehab assignment and, you know, come early May, hopefully that's available, but maybe not. There's all sorts of ripples to that. But to your point, PD, I think for people who demonstrate they can handle it, you know, every, all these teams are putting in their guidelines of they're not going to go over 100 innings more than last year or whatever. But come August, if a guy is 29 years old and an established major leaguer and he's just sailing along, are they going to stick with the the rule they made up back in February, or are they going to talk to the guy who's like, I I feel great, my velocity is the best it's been all all season. Put me on any biometric thing you want, and I'll show you the resistance in my elbow or whatever. I want to pitch through the end of the season. Are they really going to shut him down just for the heck of it because of a rule they made up in February? I have my doubts. I do too, especially if they're competitive. Todd, what do you think? Is there any reason to suspect that a uh, Lucas Giolito or or a, uh, a Max Scherzer might not be a great example, but a relatively well-established starting pitcher in the big leagues who's customarily been around 190 or 200 innings? Is there any reason to believe that that guy's going to be cut off at 150, as Ray says, just because somebody said, you know what we ought to do? Cut him off at 150. No, I don't think so. I, I'm kind of, you're, you're not a party one, PD. Uh, sounds like we're an island three anyway here. No, I, I are we going to see a 220 inning season? No, I don't. Well, who knows? I don't think so. I don't know about you, Ray, but my I think I think Bowers 206 is my high. Yeah, I get maybe five guys in the 200s. So I mean, I don't think we're going to see the. Well, I don't know if we, we could see the 210, 220, but I'm not projecting it. But when you, we talk about 100 100 innings more, right? 
100 innings more than that number in the back of the baseball card? What about all the the spring, the the, the, the summer camp? And they, they were throwing. It made, they weren't throwing in anger, but they're, they, were, they were throwing. They were throwing. Baseballs were being thrown last summer. So that has to count for some of that. So I'm not as concerned. I kind of alluded to it in one of the first questions. Is I'm not – the innings will be there. And I think in what Ray was talking about, to, to quote what Ron was saying, I don't think it's because of the lack of volume last year. I think it's just the way things are going to go. And then when you figure p- pitchers are going to get hurt anyway – so, you know, half of the population is going to get hurt. So, all right, we're projecting for a certain amount of innings, but then they get hurt. They're not pitching. Well, that's the time they're missing, and they're going to get the innings that we, you know. that. So I think it's a little bit overblown. I don't think you need to adjust a strategy because of it. I just – I think it's – yeah, Garrett Cole is not going to throw 220, but the delta between the next set is still going to be enough that on a relative basis – Cole and DeGrom, et cetera, are still elite. One thing we do know for sure is that teams will have an extra roster slot this year. Uh, you're both projection guys. Todd, how did the extra roster slot affect your player projections and especially valuations, if at all? It it didn't because project for a season. And there's a fixed amount of playing time. The next roster spot doesn't mean there's extra at-bats. They just get distributed. So – the guy that the 26 either pitcher or hitter, whatever it might be, would have been on the minors and got, got called up. So they're getting, I think they're getting the same distribution of playing time. So from that, that regard, it doesn't change things. Does it change during things strategically where now there's an extra player in the free agent pool? And sometimes if you feel, if they realize there are a lot of outfielders available, it might change how you draft. Maybe, but I think we're making a lot of suppositions there. I don't know that we can – maybe AL only you can figure something out. But to me, it just – it didn't matter because I know that the guy was going to get playing time anyway. It was just, you know, when. From what I've read, Ray, it seems like that 26 guy is almost always going to be another pitcher. Uh, how did you adjust, if at all, with Baseball HQ's projections and valuations? I, I didn't make any conscious adjustments, but I discovered an unconscious one over the weekend. Uh, you know, one thing about the 26th man that uh, I know came up in our first pitch Florida online talk with uh, Joe Sheehan was that uh, when they came up with the 26th man with the extra roster spots last year, there was supposed to be a limit. Like there was supposed to be a split of batters and pitchers. It was supposed to be 13 and 13. And they seem to have conveniently forgotten about that over the offseason, letting everyone carry this 14th pitcher. Uh, but but anyway, the unconscious aspect of it was uh, – Murph Pate, the guru of Rotolab, wrote to me sometime last week and said, I think your holds projections are too low. Uh, you know, he had, you know, usually the top holds guys approach 30 holds and like my highest in our projections was 24 or something like that. So I did what I normally would do is I grabbed our whole projection set, downloaded it, did a sum at the bottom of the column to see what the total league-wide saved holds projection was. And it was within... 40 of what the total 2019 the total was for all of MLB. I'm like, wow, I nailed that. There's no problem here. The difference, back to Todd's point, is the 26 pitcher. It's spread out among more guys. So I've taken the same number of total total holds, but divided them by like nine per team instead of seven per team. And as a result, you know, the guys who should be the hold, holds leaders have a lower total. That might be a flaw in our formula. Probably the best setup guy is still going to get trotted out there with the lead more often. They're not going to run the 14th guy and the staff out there on a two to one game in the seventh inning, 
but you know, some days they might have to do that. So we'll see, but that's kind of why the, my projections were more spread out than they were supposed to be, but that's the only sort of tangible effect of this that I've found so far. And how should drafters factor the extra slot into their strategies, uh, Ray? You know, it's going to be one of the things we really have to watch early in April. I don't know that there's a lot you can do with the draft table other than mining the news and trying to figure out how teams are going to use these pitchers. But like just today, there was the announcement that in the third game of the season or whatever it is, the Rays are going to start Rich Hill for three or four innings. And it's going to be Chris Chris Archer who piggybacks on, on top of them. That's the stuff I want to know about. I did not know about any of that when I drafted this past weekend. But, you know, it might be the first time or two through the rotation before we sort of get the rhythm of how teams are using, you know, not just the, the 14th pitcher, but more collectively the nine relievers or the, you know, the, the collection of people who are not the top three starters who are going to pitch five, six innings a clip and who the guys are who are the second man in or the, you know, the people who might vulture the wins and that sort of thing. The second man in is going to be a huge thing. Uh, Todd, you got any advice for somebody who's drafting this weekend, as many leagues will be drafting this weekend, about how to adjust or tweak whatever word you want to use because of that 26 guy floating around? Honestly, no. I, 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 I can't. I don't think it's going to matter just because, it, like you're saying, it's an extra pitcher to to take up some more innings. And it just redistributes some of the back-end innings. So I, I'm not sure. And I mean, just to follow up on Ray's point, wouldn't you like to know how Texas is going to handle their staff? Because that could be interesting. They're not just doing it willy-nilly, the the, um, the tandem pitching, which is now my favorite term, by the way, opener, closer. I like tandem. I like, I just, I think I just might, that's my new favorite term is tandem pitching. I mean, they've got lefties and righties. They're going to do it cleverly like Tampa does. They're not going to do it willy-nilly like the Rangers have done in the past out of desperation. It could be pretty interesting for any if any team sets up a f- somewhat fixed approach to Rich Hill starts, when, and when Rich Hill starts, he goes his twice through the order or whatever, and then every time, circumstances allowing, it's always going to be Chris Archer. That gives Chris Archer a lot of value. If they flip-flop that those two roles, then a little less so. Well, lefty-righty, you'd think the Tampa would match up against the other team's lineup, right? Right depending upon who the top of the order is, et cetera. So uh, it, then it comes down to, uh, do you, do you, because of ones that maybe with Rich Hill's injuries, you want him, no, you're going to start at 7 PM. You know, you're not, you don't, you know, otherwise you don't know when you have to heat up and come in the game. So maybe that's why Hill is always the opener, but I think Texas could flip them. If they're smart, the, the, the guys they're talking about, they could match up and this could be, I'm, I'm probably going to get this wrong or the analogy wrong, but here, the um, the whole could be better than the sum of the parts in Texas if they do it right. I think I got that right, too. Yes. Yeah, I, I think you did. And <laughs> I always point to the, the old Baltimore Orioles platoon in left field. You guys remember uh, Lowenstein and Gary Renneke, yeah. Yeah. Uh, who combined, uh, separately, if they gave each guy a full season, would have been you know, moderately successful, but every year they ran that platoon out there, they combined to create a 320 hitting, 100 run, 100 RBI monster in left field. And it's it's kind of amazing that somebody hasn't thought of this sooner. I think Colorado tried it a few years ago and they just didn't have good enough pitchers to pull it off, but they were taking guys like Jeff Francis who couldn't get through, a, a, you know, a six inning start, but he was dynamite the first 
couple of times through the order, and they just said, well, if that's what he can do, if he's very successful doing two times through the order, let him pitch two times through the order. I think this is maybe the biggest revolution in pitcher management that we've seen in a very long time is teams looking at what guys do well and then saying, go do more of that and less of what you're not doing well. Ray, is there any uh, impact for you as far as this goes? No, I think you're right, and I think it's a consequence of the 26-man 26, 26 that allows the team, teams to have – because what they're going to have is they're going to have more guys unavailable on a daily basis, but that's okay because they've got so many darn pitchers that you can have – you know, like the day after Archer and Hill pitch, they're both going to be unavailable if they go three innings each, and probably the guy who started the day before them is unavailable too, as well as, you know, all, you know, as, well as all the regular starters. So – Oh no, they've only got seven relievers available tonight. They'll probably make it work. And the other thing about it is this is probably why teams love the, you know, from, from a pitcher manager perspective, they love the runner on base and extra innings because it eliminates the 17 inning game where you suddenly blow out your entire bullpen. You're carrying 14 pitchers and you pretty much know you're not going to have to throw more than 10 innings a night. It's a completely different dynamic than it was five, six years ago when the Rockies tried that thing, when they had to throw more pitches than anybody because they're in Coors Field to begin with, and they were probably still carrying five bench bench batters, which nobody which would be ludicrous these days. So they were trying to make that work with probably 12 pitchers and living in fear of the 16, 16 inning game. All of those things are out the window now. And it seems that if you were managing it correctly and you had two pitchers to start the game piggybacking or tandeming or whatever you want to call it, and that you knew that they could successfully get through the two times through the order each, all of a sudden your need for relief pitchers goes down because you're, you've got the first four times through the order covered. Oftentimes that's the bulk of the game. Right. So now your you're other, other eight, eight relievers are getting, seven of the eight of them are getting a night off. Maybe you go right to Diego Castillo after the two of them or something. Todd, you were going to say something. See, I agree with all this, and I think it's part of the game. However, look at look at the signings in the offseason. The starting pitchers were still getting paid silly money. Injured starting pitchers were still getting paid silly money relative to the other positions, relievers and position players, et cetera. I think plan A is still a good starting pitcher. Mm-hmm. Then plan B is the tandem. Then plan C is a cruddy starting pitcher. And then plan D, actually plan C might be willy-nilly bullpen and plan D, a cruddy starting pitcher. So I still think the teams want, I mean, people think it's going to, this is the wave of the future. Everybody's going to pitch three innings. I don't think so. I think you still want a good starting pitcher and look at some of the money that, that again, Drew Smiley and think of all these, you know, even, even Archer, who you mentioned to a certain extent, uh, they're still, they're just getting, they're getting the money. Look, the Red Sox want to get something out of Nick Pavetta. Etc. So I think the plan A is still a five to six innings as opposed to six to seven. Again, you know, five and two thirds to six and a third inning starting pitcher. And then plan B is the tandem. I just wonder if that'll change over time because not only does the team have an interest in trying to uh, manage the innings and maybe get more frequent starts from guys if they know they only have to pitch twice through the order, uh, you might be able to start every four days and Trevor Bauer's dreams come true if he's if he's one of those guys. But I wonder if the agents and the players themselves start realizing, you know what, if I only pitch maybe three innings or three and a third every time out, even more frequently, that's easier on my arm and I'm going to have a longer career. And if that 
should happen, then all of a sudden the whole marketplace changes where the guy who can be absolutely stone cold, super getting those, uh, that first two times through with no hits, no walks, a very, very low ERA and whip, all of a sudden becomes valuable in, in the, in the, in a changed pitching economic environment, Todd. Yeah, it's going to take it's going to take a while to get to where the people that are paying the money to these people are on the same page and they're paid commensurate with their contributions. You're not getting wins. Well, I think we I think that's kind of a straw man to this point. We know, you know, we're not they're not paying for wins. But, you know, if you're a pitcher, you want to be known as a guy that's going to pitch 180 innings and get paid for it and not be paid for 130. So, I think the pitchers are going to have incentive to show the teams that they can be one of the We'll call them three starting pitchers that don't get that don't get managed, if you will. Uh, but then you know, again, if if you're not capable, it's better than not having a job at all, right? If if the third time through or the injury, etc. But I think you know, as people come up through the organizations, you know, uh, uh, people within the in, in, within the game and understand this better, then I think uh, it's not going to happen overnight. No. But it may not happen in our lifetimes, to be honest with you. But I do think that's that could be where it's going is that, you know, even on TV, right, eventually the announcers will be talking about, you know, not, not talking about, well, he's two for 12 against this guy with four strikeouts. Here's an easy out. Mm, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, Ray, it seems to me that if, if the currency for getting paid as a pitcher is going to be innings pitched, and it seems reasonable because that's what, that's what a team wants and is willing to pay for is outs. They want pitchers who can get outs. But it's... It's conceivable that, you know, if, if we unlock our minds from the 33 starts per year paradigm and we say that it's possible that the pitchers, these pitchers could go out there 45 times a year or 48 times a year, knowing they're only going to pitch three or four innings each time, one way or the other, they get to 180 innings and maybe the 180 innings they get to that way are even more valuable than if they pitch 180 innings in 30 starts, but the third time through the order exacts its penalty every time, and so their overall results may not be quite as good. Yeah, it's possible. You wonder how far you can stretch this model. To me, the constraint on that, uh, kind of to Todd's point right now, is the roster size, because I'm not sure how often these guys can go to three or four innings a clip, and the model where, like Todd said, you pay the guys to give you the six innings and you've got three of those on your roster and you trust them. And then for everybody else, you throw them in a pile on days four and five. We're going to see this, you know, next Monday, then the first, you know, five, fifth, fifth spot in the rotation of the season where everyone's lined up that way, where it's going to be just an absolute, I don't even know the word, of, you know, two and a third inning outings that night around Major League Baseball. Uh, can you, to your point, Patrick, I mean, it's fascinating because economically, you wonder if the owners would advocate for that and sort of trick, for lack of a better word, the players into accepting larger rosters and going to 16 pitchers on a 28-man roster, and the players will be like, oh, great, more jobs, awesome. And meanwhile, now the, the owners are going to do exactly what you say, PD, and be like, Ah, you know, it seems like just about anybody can throw two, three innings at a clip. It's it's a much much less of a skill than it is to be, you know, Garrett Cole or Max Scherzer. So, yeah, we're not offering you that much money, and you know, and kind of kind of rein the thing in that way. I, I guarantee you that someone is going to take the results of 
this year and start extrapolating what that looks like from a cost-benefit perspective. I almost hope it happens just so we can have the the thought process to go through in fantasy baseball where you're all of a sudden looking at a guy, suppose that Garrett Cole remains an outlier and just keeps pitching 33 or 35 times a year, six innings at a crack. You know, all of a sudden, what's he worth in a draft if you can get that kind of performance from a single yeah. guy, right? I mean, uh, people are paying $40, $45 for his stats this year in salary drafts and first-round picks in, in snake drafts. Gosh, they might have to invent a new tier of, of first round for those kind of drafts for Garrett Cole because everybody will want the handful of pitchers that would be capable of delivering that that volume of innings and the quality of innings simultaneously because I think the alternative is going to be for these other kinds of pitchers who can deliver the quality but not the volume. And we're already seeing that to a certain extent. It's just that they still start 30 times a year, but they only pitch four innings a time because they run out of gas or because they're only good two times through the order, and that's when four innings usually pops up. So out they go. It it has a real potential to alter how we think about the valuation of players for fantasy purposes. Todd? Well, you've got to get rid of the win, first of all, right? Right. If that's the way it is. You got to get rid of. And to me, make it innings pitched. I know that Cole will pitch more innings, but the idea being, it, you know, it's maybe these relievers are now going eighty, go one hundred and ten, so they get a little bit more credit. And we're not, you know, we're not talking about vulture wins. So, right, if the fantasy, the first adjustment has to be getting rid of the wins category because if you're only going four innings, or maybe major league changes the rule, but I don't see that happening. But you never know. But yeah, so that would be the first repercussion. I think we're heading there. Tell Wars. Uh, has an experimental league, which we're using wins in lieu of, sorry, innings pitched in lieu of wins. And I was excited because we actually had, I think, six current touts want to move to that league, right? They, they, you know, we, we you know, the first thing before we filled it was anybody wanted it. And like we had six people, including Ron, you know, Ron couldn't wait to get, he was the first because we, during the meeting, he said, I'm in it. So uh, they're in the, the board meeting. So he's, I'm, I'm, I'm number one. I'm, I'm taking a spot. So I, I think that was kind of cool. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. It's our preseason roundtable. Patrick Davitt here with Todd Zola from Masters Ball and ESPN and, gosh, everywhere where fantasy baseball gets written about, talked about, or discussed. Todd Zola will be there in some way, shape, or form. And uh, Ray Murphy, co-general manager and columnist at BaseballHQ.com. And, guys, many listeners will be drafting this weekend, as I mentioned, and maybe next. I think the original rules said you drafted after the season started by a week. But... Uh, those are the most traditional dates of the year for drafting, so we're going to help out with an expanded set of our Baseball HQ Radio boons and banes for the 2021 season. We'll start in the American League with a boon hitter and leading us off, Ray Murphy. I'm going to go with Joey Gallo. I, I think I still hold out some hope that he is not the batting average travesty that he's been cast at. With the, We know the power is there. He's been through some lumps. Uh, it, it's hard to, It's not hard to... It's easy to forget, is what I'm trying to say. That uh, you know, for half a season in 2019, he actually hung up a 250 batting average with 22 home runs. I think that was when he got shut down because he got hit in the face, and then last year was uh, back to 180. But uh, I, in the spirit of on an individual basis evaluating players more on 2019 than 2020, I'm I'm fishing with uh, Joey Gallo for a 250 plus BA and his usual power, which would be a uh, a pretty nice profit. It certainly would. And of course, in on base leagues, he's already well valued. Uh, 
Todd Zola, who's your American League Boone hitter? Well, I wrote down Franco, and it's not Wander. Uh, I is there a, a? I mean, sure, Michael Franco. It's it's on the lower end of mixed league and AL only, the latter. But a fly ball hitter with a good contact rate in Camden Yards. That's that sounds like a good recipe to me. And he's he's not an extreme fly ball hitter, Franco. It's like twenty percent line drives and forty forty, but that's good enough in Camden Yards. So and he's he's kind of a little out of sight, out of mind, and. Players like that, intuitively, well, they strike out a lot. Well, he doesn't. His his contacts in the low high seventies, low eighties. So it may not be, you know, the, the Gallo tier, but I I like Franco to have a real nice nice surge. In, in he's going to play, right? Rio Ruiz, he's had his shot. He's going to play. Ordinarily, in these boons and banes, I don't take part, but in the spirit of the round table, I will, and I'm going to take Andrelton Simmons, the shortstop in Minnesota. ADP is still well outside the normal range of a 15-team draft, so he's an endgame guy, but Baseball HQ projects Simmons to be close to $20 as a 5 by 5 hitter with his stats, including a 300-ish BA and a, and a double-digit steals throwing a few home runs. Uh, I know that there's injury risk with Andrelton Simmons, but I don't see how you can beat the value. Uh, on to the National League. Todd, we'll start with you. Who's a boon hitter in the senior circuit? i got to stay on brand here, guys. Uh, I've been pounding the Colton Wong drum since he signed with Milwaukee. Again, talk about nice fits. Uh, potentially leading off in that park, the way to uh, make sure I get this right, American Family Field, right? It's no longer Miller Park. Uh, leading off a lot, good OBP, Milwaukee runs. I just, I, I just think it's an ideal setup for Colton Wong. Great defense, staying in the lineup. St. Louis would take him out of the lineup usually after he went four for five, and they just take him out because they wanted to get, uh, you know, Elmendiz Diaz uh, way back when it was a, a game. But I, I think healthy, if he's healthy, he's staying in the lineup. And I just, I like Colton. I don't need to reach for Ozzy Albies because I'm not comparing the two, but you don't need to reach for second baseman because there aren't any because you can get Colton Wong and other players as well later. I'll go second this time, and one of those players you can get much later is Miguel Rojas of Miami. His ADP is way down there with Simmons's, and the last time I looked, he was being started in only about 22% of his leagues, at least as far as TGFBI is concerned. But he has projected stats with a similar value profile to Andrelton Simmons, 280-ish batting average, sort of 12, 13 bags, mid-60s in the run production categories. And the depth charts at Baseball HQ have him getting 85% of the playing time at shortstop in Miami. Playing time plus production for an endgame guy? Hard to beat, I think. I have Rojas' stats on both my NFBC-style experts teams, uh, Razball and uh, TGFBI. Ray, who do you like in the National League as a Boone hitter? Oh, I'm going to go with the other Braves middle infielder, somebody Todd alluded, alluded to, Ozzy Albies. But I'll go with Anthony Swanson, a uh, real big fan of the uh, power boost that might be coming there. We had an up of 30 home runs on him in the baseball forecaster, and he sneaks in double-digit bags too, which is nice, certainly nice to have and critical this year. You, it was a popular strategy for a lot of people, me included, to try to get the stolen bases you need in a mixed league 12-15 at a time rather than fishing in the uh, the pools of sort of the 30-plus stolen base guys, mostly because those guys are A, almost non-existent, or B, come with some significant other warts. So 
uh, Swanson was a really good uh, team build guy for me if I missed out on the really early shortstops. It's a deep position, so it's hard to hard to push him that hard. You can find a lot of quality shortstops in the pool this year. But uh, Swanson was a little bit under the radar, and I was happy to collect him where I could. On to the mound we go, and American League starting pitchers. Uh, I'll start this one. I've been seeing a little helium pushing Minnesota right-hander Randy Dobnak up the draft list, but only a little bit. He just got signed to an extension by the Twins. He's always been regarded as a low strikeout, very high ground ball pitcher. But this spring, he was striking out guys at a 36% rate, and he didn't walk a single batter. So all of a sudden, Randy Dobnak, I think, is a, an intriguing possibility. He's made the team as a relief pitcher, but you've got a rotation that has perennial injury risks. Matt Shoemaker's in there, Michael Pineda's in there. Uh, Dobnak has at least a possible path to playing time, and if he lodges into that sort of mid-roll in between, there may be a few vulture wins that he gets as a, as a bulk guy or something after an opener. Baseball HQ is projecting an ERA under four and a whip around 130. And I like the upside on this 26-year-old Randy Dobnak. Uh, Ray, who's your American League Boone pitcher? I got to mention, I claimed Dobnak and Fab in my NFBC main event last night, so uh, I'm on I'm on board with it there. Uh, for me, staying on brand, uh, the guy who I've been something in these kind of things all winter long was uh, Yusei Kikuchi. Just love the games he made uh, last year in terms of velocity, and sort of most importantly, you know, there were there were plenty of pitchers who, you know, we're almost accustomed to it now who make either pitch mix changes or pickups of velocity, the results follow and suddenly everyone's chasing them because people are so dialed into this, but sort of the difference with Kikuchi, the reason I like him so much is even though he picked up that velocity, it was completely obscured in the outward results in 2020. So he sort of stayed under the radar. I sort of caught him catch sliding his way up draft boards come March here. Uh, I wasn't getting him in March at places where I was getting him in January, but I think uh, I, I think he could still outperform where his ADP settled. Todd Zola, who's your American League Boone starter? Well, I'm going to stick with the Mariners there, Ray, and I know you, you you've been the UC Kikuchi guy, and I'd like to thank you for that because it I got him in a lot of places, and uh, we did. I don't think we were maybe in the speakers draft we're head to head, but I don't think we are uh, we're not matching up. Maybe in score sheet or something, but. Um, I'm going to go with the big maple, uh, James Paxton, mm. and health is could be an issue. Obviously, he's, he's he's you know he's he's shoving the spring. Something we haven't talked about. Maybe we can work it in as we go through the rest of these players. Is the potential of the soft deadered baseball, and people are kind of brushing it off because they they don't know what it's going to be. And I don't know. I think that I'm not. I didn't change anything. I don't know if you did, Ray. I doubt you did, but. In the back of my mind, I've got some players that I think, if it does matter, that these are the guys it's going to matter with. And Paxton could be one of them with the home runs. He's always had a high strikeout rate. It, it gets lost in the home runs, especially at Yankee Stadium. Put him back in, not Safeco, put him back in T-Mobile. i got to start with players that are like in Wrigley and Fenway so I can get them <laughs> right. Uh, put him back in T-Mobile. And it's uh and and you know maybe a softer baseball and he can stay healthy. I like. I mean, I got him as a streamer, but I he has a chance to be more than a streamer. Over to the National League, Ray. Who's a starting pitcher boon for you? I, I'll make the point about the deaded baseball later. I had a guy who specifically fits fits that topic, so we'll get back there. My guy here is you know it's it's almost become comical this spring to 
pick your favorite kid Marlins pitcher, right? And I think you can ask um, 20 different analysts and get, you know, a distribution of five of them, each liking one of the four Marlins kids. Uh, mine is Sandy Alcantara. I am a big fan of his. Uh, the difference between him and Kikuchi for me is I got a lot less of Alcantara than Kikuchi this spring because the rest of the world is on him too. But I really liked how he dealt with the short season. And I think to kind of one of your early points, um, PD, he could easily be one of those guys where after sort of a lofty 197 innings as a 23-year-old in 2019, he might be the guy who gets stronger or is allowed to work longer after only 40. Don't forget how screwy the season was last year for the Marlins and they could barely even get guys into the rotation. Uh, but he's a guy who they might be able to unleash a little bit. And I think that's why I give him an edge over uh, Sanchez and Lopez over the, out there because I could see him getting to 180 plus. And I really like the stuff. Todd Zola, who's your National League starting pitcher, Boone? Oh, I got two names. They're both kind of long. So, oh, man. I'm going to go. I'm going to go with Daniel Ponce de Leon, and I if I if I bid on him one more time last night, he was going to thought I people he was going to think I was looking for him. Well, that's kind of a bad joke. Um, anyway, well, PD got it. So now I just and I I can't point to the numbers. I can't point to a stat cast card. It's opportunity, and with the St. Louis staff, there's some opportunity. It's kind of like appealing to. Appealing to authority, if you will, uh, my colleague Jeff Erickson, uh, I don't want to say coined the term, but started using it when you trust an organization. I trust an organization, the Cardinals, how they're going to handle starting pitching. And like I said, there are openings. Um, because I know people are just, what's the other name? Uh, Tesclafani came in second for me, and that's just strictly a park, a park effect. You know, mindset of getting out of out of uh, the bandbox, the, the small park there, and moving to Oracle. Before I give my National League starter, I'm curious what you guys thought of the news that uh, Sixto Sanchez got sent down by Miami. Todd, what, what did you make of it? Uh, it was a foregone conclusion. Uh, the you know the, the the breadcrumbs were there, and people are you know go, you know f- they're they're falling off the deep end. It's Ray. I'm sure you didn't change his innings projection because he had a cap on it. So yeah, it's one of totally. the, what's that? You pay me now, pay me later. That old commercial. Yeah. You know he's he could pitch been, now. He could pitch the later. He's going to pitch 18 weeks out of 26 or something like that, right? right. It turns out the first two were uh, the other eight. It's actually good news if you can go and you know ma- manage your rotation you're, for the next two weeks. You're going to get him for 20 weeks out of 26 after that. Head-to-head league should be happy, right? Because you have him down the stretch. Yeah, so I, in September, absolutely. Yeah, so I to me it was I don't want to say much to do about nothing, but yeah, I mean it was part of it is because he had the false positive, which were oh what what did what did what is Matt Barnes was the uh, uh, the, I, I'll look it up. The, a the, real, the wording, he was a real positive, positive was, with non-infectiousness. In, yeah, in, yeah, an infection. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, <laughs> I'm, I'm a scientist, and I'm making fun of it. Anyway, all right. <laughs> uh, listen, I was a scientist. Uh, I tweeted anyway, so, Riviera an hour ago about that. <laughs> yeah, so Sanchez, Sixto Sanchez. If you weren't, if you didn't, I mean, I don't. This is going to sound insulting, but if you didn't expect him to go down, you weren't paying attention. 
Well, my National League starting pitcher, Boone, is right-hander uh, John Gant in St. Louis, another guy who's um, way down in the bottom of the ADPs. You have to pipe light if you want to get a look at him. But he'll have a rotation slot in St. Louis out of coming out of spring training. He pitched okay in uh, during the spring, around a 440 ERA and 133 is not great. But if you look at his past record in Major League Baseball, 260 total innings over the past five seasons, an ERA under four, around a 130 uh, whip as well. Of course, there's a concern with control. He's had several seasons, 10% walk rate or higher. But I think at the price, these stats are worth taking a flyer on John Gant of St. Louis. Uh, Let's continue. Uh, American League again, relief pitchers. Todd, uh, who do you think could be a boon? Previous to the Matt Barnes news, I had Adam Adovino there. But I'm going to swerve. And it's more of a spidey sense than anything else. But I'm going to go with Ian Kennedy. And I know that... There are other Texas has got a couple of guys that are that are injured and can come back, uh, Leclerc and Hernandez, and take the job. Kennedy's been darn good once they made the full time transition to reliever, striking batters out, getting the saves with Kansas City. Uh, you know, again, he's replacing a couple of hurt guys. What you know, what's the best indicator of, uh, of another injury, a previous injury? So I, the saves, you know, landscape is not great. But if I'm throwing a dart and a guy that may get the team's first and last save that's not named Hader, and well, one of the top guys, it's, it's, again, Spidey sense, it's, it's Ian Kennedy. My nod for an American League reliever, Boone, is a reliever in Toronto, but it's not Jordan Romano and it's not Dolis, it's David Phelps. And I think he's going to have a, an interesting high leverage role on a Toronto team that's going to get some wins and whose rotation is not exactly overburdened with starters who are going to get deep into games. We know Kirby Yates is out for the year. Everybody moves up a notch. Jordan Romano to closer, Dolis to key setup guy. But at, right after... Kirby Yates went down with that uh, Tommy John news. Manager Charlie Montoyo mentioned Phelps first and fellow veteran Tyler Chatwood second as possible closure candidates. Uh, Phelps has his fastball velocity back up since uh, Tommy John a couple of years ago. He has a couple of seasons over 30% K rate, a 31% K minus walk rate, which is really good last year in the short season. The Jays are talking about being in the playoff mix this year, so I think uh, Romano and Dolis will be on short leashes, and the veteran Phelps will be lurking should they fail at any point. Uh, Ray, who do you like in the American League in the relief corps? I'm sort of in a different tier than you guys. I love your answers because they're more creative than mine. I sort of went with the lower tier closer who I actually believe is undervalued. And it turns out I was looking at my NFBC rosters last night for fab, like we were saying, and I looked at my little player shares thing and he was the guy who I drafted the most this winter of anybody. I long build up for Greg Holland, but I actually think that Holland is, you know, for where he was drafted, I think he actually has, a lot more security in the role and will be left alone there. And I think he can handle it. And I wouldn't be surprised if for the lower tier sort of sub round 15 investment in a mixed league, you're getting, you know, top 10 round return. And before we finish up with our Baines, uh, let's get our last relief pitcher this time in the national league. And, uh, 
I'm going to go first and I'm going to cheat and say Sean Doolittle in Cincinnati and Michael Givens in Colorado. Not super firm closer situations in either venue and both Doolittle and Givens have somewhat established reputations that worried managers like to fall back on. I like Givens better of the two. Uh, he's slotting in behind Daniel Bard who's somewhat a tenuous grasp on the closer role. In Denver, the Reds have Lucas Sims in a co-closer kind of lash up with left-hand Ramir Garrett who's had some elbow tenderness. If Garrett's elbow is trouble and the Reds are committed to closer by matchups, then the next lefty in the pen is Doolittle. So uh, back on to you, Ray, for a boon closer in the National League. You know, same thing, fishing in the lower tier of current closers or in, you know predicted start-the-year closers. Let me go with Jake McGee in San Francisco. I uh, really like the way he sort of rebooted himself in L.A. last year and that San Francisco pen has some other interesting pieces, but you know, giving the veteran McGee the ninth and letting him be a, you know just hold that down makes a lot of sense to me. Obviously, I'm steering into Gabe Kapler uh, settling on a stable closer option, which might be a laughable mistake on my part. But I think McGee can hold that down and give Ray's Maranta and everybody else out there uh, a, a, some lower leverage work. So McGee is practically the last quote-unquote anointed closer off of draft boards, and I'm actually fairly comfortable with him. Todd, who do you like in the National League in the bullpen? I was going to say McGee. Uh, I was going to make Ray laugh. I say, too bad the Red Sox didn't get him, because then we get to hear, what would they do with Jake McGee? <laughs> the, old, the old Lou Gorman line when they, uh, they someone said they should acquire Willie McGee when he was in his prime. What would he ever do with Willie McGee? Play him, win, uh, you know, play win, him really yeah. well because he, he was good. All right. Anyway, um, first with the whole the point I was going to make with McGee is uh, I'm not so sure that you know Kapler being Kapler, I think he kind of maybe learned a lesson, and McGee's the best they've got, so I think they're going to I think they would use him. I, I'm going to uh, because McGee was my guy. I'm going to take a slightly different tact and say if you're a draft and you can get both Will Smith and Chris Martin. Maybe you're near a wheel or you can buy them both. They're both good pitchers to use regardless. So if one, you know, one's the primary closer, you're still getting a good pitcher. Um, so that's kind of just, just to kind of fill in, I guess if I had to chew, you know, you know, name up, you know, answer the question, Zola, maybe Emilio Pagan, because he's, you know, I don't, I figured Mark Melanson would be the guy, but San Diego, you know, Tigler wants to use a guy. And they've talked about Pagan. So maybe throw a dart at Pagan. And you don't want him as your first, obviously. And you may not want him as your second. But he may turn into be your second closer if you get him as your third. All right, I'll give out our list of boons all the way through if you weren't writing them down as you go. Uh, Joey Gallo, Michael Franco, Andrelton Simmons, Colton Wong, Miguel Rojas, Dansby Swanson, Randy Dobnak, Yusei Kikuchi, James Paxton, Sandy Alcantara, Daniel Ponce de Leon, John Gant, Ian Kennedy, David Phelps, Greg Holland, Sean Doolittle and Michael Givens, Jake McGee, and Emilio Pagan with honorable mention to Will Smith and Chris Martin in Atlanta. Before we leave this whole area here, let's give out our postseason awards preseason. Uh, let's start with the most valuable hitter for fantasy purposes. Ray, who do you like? We threw an MVP upside on him in the baseball forecaster, so I'll stick with it. And it's on my 2020 Mulligans branding, uh, Raphael Devers. Todd? 
So, so we're talking about fantasy MVP. Fantasy most valuable hitter. All right. I mean, we, we talk, in the end of the season, we talk about different ways of doing it. I wanted to get this guy in there. Call me a homer. I know he's no longer at home. I Similar to Colton Wong, I think Jackie Bradley is going to – I don't want to use the word explode, but I think he's going to impress in that ballpark. He's going to run. He's going to play a lot with the defense. Um, and, you know, if you look at, you know, return on investment, I think you're going to be very, very pleased with Jackie Bradley. Well, no big surprise for me. I'm taking Trey Turner, and I'm doing that based on a formula that first converts ADP to dollar values, a formula that I think Ed DiCaria came up with a few years ago for us at Baseball HQ. Then I add the profit back to the stats values, and the most interesting thing about the exercise that everybody in the top 10 was a shortstop, all 10 of them, including Simmons and Rojas, whom I discussed earlier. So if we promote Turner to one of the top three or four by ADP, then the most valuable might be Tim Anderson of the White Sox, depending on how you value that. Uh, let's get on to the fantasy Cy Young. Todd, who do you have for fantasy Cy Young? Um, I hope I'm not taking uh, Ray's you know, uh, fly ball guy, but I'm going Luis Castillo, Luis Castillo. And I, I don't want to go on, I mean, obvious with the, the, the Grom, but I'm combining the return on investment. If the ball doesn't travel flight quite as far, and I know he's a ground ball pitcher, but Castillo gives up some walks with the ground ball guys, give up more hits. So every home run he gives up is that much more damaging. If the ball doesn't travel as far, Louis Castillo with the strikeouts, and I think he's going to be a work a, a workload, a workhorse guy, could be, you know, maybe not better than DeGrom in a vacuum, but return on investment, he very well might be. Uh, you mentioned Jacob deGrom. I'm taking Jacob deGrom, same reason as before. You know, just so much core or base value, and you add in, even if there's basically no profit in those stats, there's still so much value that I just simply couldn't turn him down. Uh, Ray, who do you like for your fantasy side? I'm going to go Josh Hader because I still think we might see the mythical 10 win, 35 save, 150 strikeout season from him. And back to the point I made earlier, I think the wins thing is another thing that I'm curious to follow in the full season, because I think, you know, 10 wins and 35 saves sounds a little bit ridiculous, but I think with the extra inning games and the way that closers might manage with the runner on base and extra innings and bring the closer into the tie in the ninth or the 10th, it's more attainable for somebody who can carry that workload. So I'm super, I'm, I'm super curious to see whether uh, council adapts that way, but I think it's entirely possible. And our last positive category is Fantasy Rookie of the Year. I'll start. Uh, I like Pittsburgh third baseman Cabrian Hayes. He's the betting favorite at most of the online casinos and mine. He got uh, some Rookie year of the Year votes last year after slashing uh, 376, 442, 682. That's an 11-24 OPS. Played excellent defense. Uh, only 24 games, but his 1.8 BWAR was still higher than any other rookie. Ray, who do you like for Rookie of the Year from a fantasy point of view? Yeah, I, I sort of ignored those guys who played last year, even though I know they still have rookie status, just to you know keep it keep it a little fresher. Um, no disrespect to your pick, Pete. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Jared Kelnick because I think whenever he comes up, he's going to be a monster, and I think that he might be up sooner than later after the significant black guy that the the organization got for the. Uh, the comments of the former team president this offseason. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see him by May 1st, and he has just a bananas five months. And Todd? I'm going to go with Gavin Lux. 
Um, I just, you know, Dodd, let's face it, it's it's Los Angeles. They've had a history of rookie of the year. Just the point being, you 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 excel in a media market. You just get more attention, etc. It sounds like they want the Dodgers want Gavin Lux to get the run. Uh, I think the whole why didn't he come up last year? He must not be any good anymore. I think that's a little bit overblown. So uh, we're gonna go. We're gonna go Gavin Lux. Our fantasy award winners for 2021: Raphael Devers, Jackie Bradley, Trey Turner, uh, Luis Castillo, Jacob Degrom, Josh Hader. Brian Hayes, Jared Kalanick, and Gavin Lux. Guys, this has been great so far. We'll take a quick break. Come back in just a minute. We'll talk about our Banes. Todd Zola writes at Masters Ball, ESPN, and Rotowire broadcasts at Sirius XM and does a million podcasts. And Ray Murphy is the co-general manager and a columnist at BaseballHQ.com. Right now, it's time in the show when I get to let you know about some of the great content that lets us say BaseballHQ.com is the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In Playing Time Tomorrow, analyst Dan Marcus looks at the rosters of all five teams in the National League Central, including infield situations in Chicago and St. Louis, and a somewhat surprising announcement about the Milwaukee rotation. In minor leagues coverage, scouting analyst Rob Gordon who also moonlights here at Baseball HQ Radio every Friday with his Minor League Minute, is in Phoenix, sharing highlights from a recent four-day stint watching prospects from the Cubs, the Reds, the Brewers, and the Rockies. And in Facts and Flukes, analyst Jeffrey Tomich looks at the performances of five American League players, including Boston's starting pitcher Nathan Eovaldi and Baltimore outfielder Austin Hayes. Those are just three articles among literally dozens, a small sampling of all the great content you'll find at BaseballHQ.com all the time, including facts and flukes, playing time today and playing time tomorrow, buyer's guides, the market pulse, the big hurt. We have fantasy baseball research and all kinds of tools that you can use to improve your teams and win your leagues. And they're all why we call our site the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Baseball HQ Radio. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now to rejoin our preseason roundtable edition with Todd Zola and Ray Murphy. Guys, welcome back. We did our boons. Now we got to do our banes. Uh, Let's start once again in the American League with a hitter. And once again, Ray Murphy. All right. This is my dead in baseball guy we talked about earlier. Uh, It's a combination dead in baseball uh, trash can thing, but it's Alex Bregman. Um, You know, he was sort of not he was sort of an outlier in our expected home run metric when we introduced that all kind of all of the Astros were which is still the most fascinating aspect of the trash can thing uh but then you throw in this dead in baseball and I'm just super dubious of the power we were dubious of the 40 home runs for 2019 to begin with uh I avoided him as much as I could in all my drafts this this season unfortunately I've got them in a couple of keeper leagues and have not been able to fully divest myself of him, but I am very skeptical. Todd Zolo, who do you like as a Bane hitter in the American League? Yeah, real quick to piggyback when we're racing about the Astros, uh, as you probably know, Crawford bo- the Crawford boxes break a lot of expected home run mm-hmm. algorithms, including StatCast. Uh, so it's, uh, I, I, I don't look at all about, ex- well, not at all, but the expected versus real Woba, et cetera on StatCast for Astros, throw it out the window. Uh, another dead and ball guy. And uh, I just, he, he benefited from it a couple of years ago. And in Yankee Stadium, uh, Glaber Torres does not go the opposite field. Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, DJ LeMayhew do. 
Glaber Torres does not take advantage of the right field wall, which you can reach out and touch almost. So lose a little juice off the ball. I'm already down on Torres. I'm even more down, and it's that's like could be relative to where he's being taken as well. Um, I just uh, I don't I don't see the return on investment. I'm also going to go with a guy in the dead and ball category. However, this guy, the ball is dead because he literally beat it to death, and that's Bobby Dahlbeck in Boston going in the late teen rounds. I see a disaster waiting to happen here, guys. Nobody doubts the power. Eight home runs and 92 plate appearances in the short season is 56 in a 650 plate appearance season. I don't know that he's going to hit 56 home runs. But I really have problems with the lack of contact. And if he whiffed 42% of his plate appearances in the short season, he has had K rates in the mid-20s in the minor leagues. But at the major league level, I'm really concerned that the pitching might be a little better than it is in double-A, and therefore that Bobby Dahlbeck will be victimized. On to the National League. Todd, kick us off with a Bane hitter. Yeah, Dahlbeck doesn't get to face his own staff, which is a problem. Um <laughs> I'm going to, similar, I mean, same idea in that I'm not, a, I wasn't high on this guy to begin with. He's a victim, uh, not a victim, but he's boosted by the park. Chris Bryant. People are expecting a bounce back from Chris Bryant. He, look at his stack cast is not good. It's a Wrigley Field thing. And if he loses a little bit more, the, the ball, I, I don't see the rebound from Chris Bryant. If he gets traded, maybe it depends on the park, but at this point, it doesn't look like he's going to be dealt. Um, you know, it, he, even his good years, Statcast was not his friend. It was the, the you know the nice as they call him the friendly confines. My National League Bane hitter is not a bad player and certainly a guy that I wouldn't mind having on my roster should the cost of his stats be right. It just doesn't look to me like it's going to be. And Pete Alonso of the Mets, I think, is being overdrafted. He's a fourth-round type of guy. He could hit 240, 235, get a lot of home runs, but no speed and and, uh, just not worth the cost. And from that point of view, he works out to be a Bane for me. Ray, who's your Bane? Mine is Nolan Arenado. I just did not see the draft position correction that I needed to see out of him when he got traded from Colorado to St. Louis. You know, he went from being a comfortable second, third round guy to what did he, what did he lose, Todd? A round, a round and a half. He needed to lose four or five for me for based on what he how bad the park factor change from Colorado to St. Louis is. And I know we've studied all the Colorado hitters, and they don't just lose. It's not just their road stats we get when they when they leave Colorado, but I there wasn't nearly the discount I needed to see going from the best hitters park in the universe to a sneaky good pitchers park. You want to lose Twitter followers? Post that CJ Crone slash line will be better than Arenado's. Let's move on to the American League and starting pitcher Baines, and I'll start this one with Lance Lynn of the White Sox. He has a nice projection at Baseball HQ, a 370-ish, 121 type line, but he's being drafted too high for me again in the fourth round. I know the shift to pitching we talked about is pushing up all kinds of pitchers to dizzying heights, but that's roughly an $18 expenditure to acquire stats that I think at most are going to be worth maybe two-thirds of that amount. I understand you got to move with the market, but this is generally where the grab starter early mantra starts to fail for me. Ray, who's your uh, Bane pitcher in the American League? Mine is Frankie Montas, which is probably not a surprise because I think HQ's been low on him for a couple of years running after his big uh, after his big season in 2019. Uh, and he went 
completely in the other direction. We were sort of right in 2020 where he hung up, followed up his 263 ERA with an ERA over five. But this is one of the, one of those cases where I'm not giving out the mulligan, and I'm not saying the 560 is the real Montas, but I think it's. I'll take the I'll take the 560 side of the midpoint between 560 and 263, and his ADP of somewhere around round 10 right now or something like that is way too expensive for me. Todd, who's your American League starting pitcher, Bain? If we didn't have a bust of the year category, I would name this guy now, but I'm going to save him for the big one. Uh, I'm going to just, I'll mention Jamison Tyone. Man, the guy's been through what he's been through. Everybody's rooting for him. And I think that might be part of why he's getting a bit of helium, throwing the ball hard, thoracic outlet. I understand that it's more of a long-term question than the short-term. You can have success over the short-term. But he's barely pitched over the past couple of years, and the Yankees are going to need the innings. And we just we just don't know what's going to happen down the line later on this season. And he's being drafted as if he's going to be pitching well for thirty starts. And I, I I'm skeptical, rooting for it, but I'm skeptical. I'm not willing, I'm not willing to pay for it. Over to the National League starting pitcher Bain or Ray Murphy. Let's go with Chris Paddock. He sort of seems like he's a mess this spring. There were some positive. Comments. He obviously had a very bad 2020, and there was some positive buzz this winter or early in camp where he, he said he sort of got religion on StatCast and spin rate and looked at his offerings and understood sort of what was wrong and what he had to fix. But the spring hasn't really gone that well, and there's a lot of noise about him changing his pitch mix, his arm angle. It just all seems like he's kind of lost in the woods, and I'm going to sit on the sidelines until he figures something out. I'm not saying he never will, but – He's not going to do it on my roster. He's going to figure it out. And, you know, once I'm, you know, maybe in a year, if he's stuck this one to me, then I'll come back willingly and admit I was wrong next year. But I, I just get the sense that there could be uh, a fairly sustained period of lump taking here until he finally settles on what he needs to do to be successful. Insert your flute joke here if you want. I'm going Ian Anderson. I, uh, I'm rooting for him. I'm, not, I'm rooting for him selfishly because I have him on a keeper team. Uh, as a minor league, but it's the walks and he's being drafted. A lot of people like myself who maybe not paying for the top pitching are, are getting Anderson as their first, even second start, sometimes second starting pitcher. And I think that's some big risk. He is the control. You can show it one year, but when a guy improves control, I need to see it the second year. It, that's a skill that I need to see repeated before I'm willing to buy into it. I think he's going to be fine, but for where he's going, you, 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 I'm not satisfied that the control is going to be there. Let them face more teams. You know, let, we're out of the zones. We're now into facing more than just a few teams. Let's get a book on the guy. And I hope I'm wrong on this one, but I, I have him on the keeper team. I don't have him anywhere else. It's just the, we don't talk about whip enough as, as a category that can hurt. And Louis Castillo is an example of, of an ace that hurts your whip. Uh, I don't think we, we we think about it enough when we're drafting. I was going to take Corbin Burns of Milwaukee, who has really shot up the ADPs this year, but I actually kind of like that he made this radical change in his pitch mix. So instead, I'm going to go with Blake Snell, who brings too much injury risk and a value loss between his top three-round ADP and what HQ is projecting, again, converting to dollar values and everything is fraught with difficulty. But I just think top three rounds for a guy who's had this kind of injury history, um, I'll let somebody else take that risk. Uh, Let's move back to the relievers. And Todd, uh, who's a Bain reliever in the American League? 
Uh, I mean, one of these years we're going to be right, and Alex Colomay is not going to get the job done, right? <laughs> one of these years, and Minnesota's got other options, and they want to win. They can't, you know, they they can't lose too many games to the White Sox. They and even even with their the White Sox losing Eloy Jimenez. So I mean, the numbers Alex Colomay just isn't that good, and I don't know how to project Guile. So I think eventually the you know Rogers or somebody else will will take over and people are drafting column A in that same range as we talked about McGee and we talked about um, uh, uh, some of the other, the, the closers that aren't nails, but they aren't, you know, they've got the job. I'm column A's just off my list. After I heard the news about Nick Anderson, I really started to like Diego Castillo's stats in Tampa and they're available relatively cheaply, but I don't think he's a sure thing in Tampa because they just like to mess around with that whole closer situation. What, they have 60, 70 guys get saves last year in, in 60 games, something like that. It's a miracle of, of mathematics that they've pulled off down there. But uh, I just don't trust Tampa to award the saves disproportionately towards one guy or another to, to justify the expense again. So I'm jumping into the sure thing here in Liam Hendricks. Uh, I think that the cost is too high for the stats and the risk. And I know he's been a horse and he's got a rubber arm and all that kind of stuff. I just don't like taking relievers that high, even in this uh, the kind of environment. Uh, if you like the certainty of it, that's fine. But I don't think the certainty is as certain as we might like to believe. Uh, Ray, wrap us up on the American League relievers. For me, this is Trevor Rosenthal. I was just stunned when not, I was not stunned that he signed with Oakland and was anointed the closer, but I was kind of stunned where his ADP jumped to when that happened. He sort of ended up becoming a top like six or seven closer just on spec once he signed in Oakland. And I don't see it. I'm looking at his career control numbers. And as is typical of a reliever, the numbers are sort of all over the map. He walks five and a half guys for nine, then three and a half the next year, then six and a half, then three and a half again. Then, oh, 15 in 15 innings. Uh, and then last year goes back to walking three guys for nine, which if he's walking three, three guys for nine, sure, he's very good. But that's not his career track record. His career track record is up near four and a half. And that doesn't mean you're going to get four and a half. If you get four and a half, he's probably still even okay this year if he's going to strike out you know, 12, 13 guys for nine to go with that. But – you could get the five blocks for nine or the six blocks for nine guy. And if you get that in round seven, you've got big, big problems. Over to the National League relievers. Uh, and for my bane, I couldn't choose between two guys that I actually have in a couple of drafts, uh, Giovanni Gallegos and Hector Neris. At the time of the draft, it looked fairly solid that these guys were going to be the number one relievers or had a reasonable shot at being number one relievers. And as time has moved forward, especially in Philadelphia, I just don't think that I'm nearly as confident in Neris and I'm not nearly as confident in Gallegos either with the return of Jordan Hicks. So I guess what I'm saying is don't follow my lead from drafts that took place a month or so ago on Gallegos or Hector Neris and you might do better than I'm going to do with them. Uh, Ray, who do you like as a bane in the National League bullpens? Craig Kimbrell, easy choice. Just going back to, I mean, Todd and I lived through the 2018 season, the postseason, where the Red Sox won the World Series, and this guy just had no idea where the ball was going. And I know he's working on it this spring, and the news in the last week or so has been better, but 
we're now going into year four of this guy having no idea where the ball is going. And I don't believe he's going to fix it in a week. <laughs> and Todd, who's your Bane reliever in the national? Anthony Bass. And mainly because lately, I mean, I, we talk about how messy the, the market is, but now that the big money drafts and the showcase industry drafts are going on, he's being drafted as if he's a trustworthy closer and he's not very good. He's like Alex Colomay. He's just not very good. And that Miami, I think you don't want to, you don't want to blow the saves of such a great young staff and, you know, give me Yumi Garcia as someone to stash. I just, uh, Bass's skills are just not, they're kind of fishy. Our roundtable Baines, Alex Bregman, Glaber Torres, Bobby Dahlbeck, Chris Bryant, Nolan Arenado, Lance Lynn, Frankie Montas, and Jamison Tyon, Chris Paddock, Ian Anderson, and Blake Snell, Alex Colomay, Liam Hendricks, Trevor Rosenthal, Giovanni Gallegos, Hector Neris, Greg Kimbrell, and Anthony Bass. Uh, before we wrap this up, uh, our big awards, it's like the best picture awards in the Oscars, only without the fancy dresses. And I guess they're not having those anyway this year. They'll all be on Zoom uh, and as we are on Google Meets over here. But let's start with our fantasy uh, bust of the year. Uh, Ray, among the hitters, who do you think is going to be the bust of the 2021 fantasy season? I'm going to stick my neck out and see if it gets chopped off here. Vlad Guerrero Jr. I just have not bought it all season. I still don't buy it. One of these years, he's absolutely going to fix the launch angle and be a monster. But he's going to do it once before I believe. I am not, you know, and to Todd's point about the showcase drafts and the big money drafts, I just looked at it and his earliest pick in the NFC main event this past weekend was up to 21 in the middle of the second round. That's bananas from my point of view. Uh, I would not have taken him in the fourth round. I would not have taken him in the fifth round. I will not take him until he shows me a ground ball rate under 50%. And he hasn't done it yet. So I'm out. Todd, who's your bust of the year on the hitter side? The real surprise, Ray, in that draft, it wasn't Clay Link that took him at 21. That's right. <laughs> that, that's, that was the shocker. Um, I'm a little more optimistic on Guerrero, but I, I understand. I mentioned his name before. It's Ozzy Albies. And it's, I don't, it's not that I don't like him as a player. I, I'm, I'm, I'm growing. He's growing on me. I think he's a very good player. But you don't need to reach for a second baseman. And people are reaching for a second. There's no good second baseman. Well, there's a lot of not. There's a lot of very good second baseman later. So it's to me, it's 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 more of a bust relative to where people that are drafting for scarcity, if you will. And this is just another because I'm going with Albies. Maybe because my mind doesn't you know want to work that way. But I just I had trouble finding a bust. You know, maybe, I, you know, maybe I'm just an optimistic guy. Yeah, <laughs> right. But um, I just I had trouble finding a bust, so I went with Albies. I focused on the top 100 ADPs, and I landed on the projected stats line of Max Muncie of Los Angeles, uh, mid-seventh rounder, and the likelihood appears to be that he'll end up with fewer than 400 at-bats, which seems too steep of a price. Todd's making a face like I may have uh, miscalculated that, but that's what I saw in a bunch of projection systems. I don't know. Todd can tell me what his projection is. I just think uh, if that's correct, I think it's too few plate appearances for the uh, cost. Uh, some depth chart providers have Muncie playing a lot more, but even a lot more at-bats with that sub-240 batting average isn't going to be that much help anyway. Uh, Todd, you were making a face. Uh, tell me why. It's not so much the pick. I just think he's going to, unless he gets hurt, I don't know, he's going to play. And I know he had a, he's one of those, is he a mulligan guy? Uh, you know, He had a bad year last year. I just think Muncie's going to play. I agree with the pick. I think I think he's being pushed up because of, 
the multiple position. I think people are overpaying for that, if you will. But um, I just I think he's going to get more than 400 plate appearances, provided he stays healthy. Um, so anyway. Well, with that lovely explanation, we'll let you go first on the final category, which is fantasy pitcher bust of the year. Hey, do I get to go? Oh, we're on, we're on pitcher. We did that. No, you're right. Yeah, we I did. You, you chose Vlad Guerrero, and you only get to do I it once. I wanted to go around again. <laughs> well, you're, you, you, yeah, it's hard to think with your neck cut off. Um, <laughs> you know what? I, here, I'm, I'm on brand again. I teased it before, and I've been, te- I've been teasing it. I've been up, up front about it all offseason. I think Zach Plesak is getting just – I don't see it. I, 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 well, actually, I see a lot of red – I see a lot of concerns more than anything else. And I just think he's getting far too much credit for eight starts in a weak division, three of which were where the extra day's rest and two of which were even more rest. And I know it's a small sample, but everything was a small sample last year, friends. He, he picked progressively worse with, with less rest. I want to see him do it on a, in a full season, pitching against more than the central zone and every fourth day. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I don't make bets because I usually lose them when I do. But if I were to make a bet, I would take Aaron Savali over Zach Plesak. My fantasy pitcher bust of the year, and I'm not saying that this guy is going to be a complete disaster and actively hurt his teams. I just think you Darvish is going for way too high of a cost given the injury history. And I, I know that he's in a very good situation in San Diego. There'll be lots of run support, very solid bullpen, and I may be completely all wet here. But I, to me, a lot of these decisions are simply uh, risk versus benefit. I know what the benefit is if everything works out well, and I just think the risk is too high that it's not going to work out as well as a lot of people hope. Uh, Ray, wrap us up with a fantasy pitcher bust of the year. Risk is off the charts on this one. Uh, another Padre for me. It's the way up. Diddleson Lamette. I just, you know, he, he's people have been worrying about his elbow walls winter ever since he basically said he was at, he, he couldn't pitch anymore at the end of last year. He's but people bumped him up all spring, you know. And, and then the medical guys on our first pitch Florida event last month sort of universally said he was a disaster waiting to happen. Oh, and by the way, he's barely pitched at all this spring, and his elbow is barking. They, he got picked in the NFC main event as early as pick 92 within the last week, which just seems crazy to me. I, I'll i take the under on 50 innings. Our fantasy busts of the year, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Ozzy Albies, and Max Muncy on the hitting side. Zach Plesak, Hugh Darvish, Denelson Lamette on the pitching side. Guys, thanks very much for helping us out. It was a real pleasure, Ray. Thanks very much. I'm sure we'll talk with you again uh, coming up later this week. Sounds great. And Todd, thank you as well. Uh, we'll be talking with you throughout the season. PD, uh, you're still the best interviewer in the business. 100%. You guys are too kind. Uh, Todd, tell our listeners where they can keep up with the king of all fantasy baseball media. Uh, Masters Balls, the mothership, uh, doing work for Rotowire for ESPN, uh, Sirius XM Fantasy on Sundays at 1 p.m. Eastern, and the, uh, the MLB Network Radio. They let me and Clay Link talk on there. 5 to 6 p.m. Uh, Saturdays Eastern about fantasy sports. So that, that, that's been kind of a fun gig and uh, enjoying that. And, you know, every, every few weeks I'm here with you guys. Ray Murphy, another busy guy. How can listeners keep up with you? Uh, you can find me in the GM's office at Baseball HQ most Fridays with my co-general manager, Brent Hershey, and on Twitter at Ray HQ. This has been great. Thanks again, Ray. 
Thank you, PD. Thank you, Todd. Thanks again, Todd. Uh, my pleasure, gentlemen. Looking forward to the next time. Todd Zola writes for Masters Ball, ESPN, Rotowire. He broadcasts on Sirius XM and features on lots of podcasts. Ray Murphy is the co-general manager of BaseballHQ.com and a columnist at the site. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, March the 30th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 17 of the 2021 Fantasy Baseball season, our annual preseason roundtable. I want to thank our guests for this Two Tout Tuesday edition, Todd Zola from Masters Ball, ESPN, Rotowire, Sirius XM, and Ray Murphy, co-general manager and columnist at BaseballHQ.com. Todd is one of the finest fantasy baseball analysts in the business and has long been a regular guest here on Baseball HQ Radio. And Ray, well, he's a big reason this podcast has continued for 15 years as a supporter behind the scenes, as a regular guest on the show, and of course, as a top-notch fantasy baseball player and analyst. I'm Patrick Abbott, the host of Baseball HQ Radio. I sure hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Also, remember you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. You can also follow my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt, where you'll always be the first to know when a new podcast is available. Please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio. Take a second to go wherever you catch your pods. And if they have the feature, leave Baseball HQ Radio a good review and a rating. That helps us find new listeners, and new listeners help us keep the podcast going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again Friday with another Friday News and Notes edition featuring National League and American League player news with Nick and Ray, an HQ Spotlight feature on one of our site's fine analysts, Rob Gordon's Minor League Minute, Alex Becky's Frequent Flyer, and my Extra Innings comment. That's all coming up on Friday on the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. Talk to you Friday, and so long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators, or directly from BaseballHQ.com, where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.